If you would this morning, turn in your copy of Scripture to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start reading with verse 19. So Hebrews 10 and verse 19. If you'll remember, from last week we were in Hebrews and we were uh, actually in Hebrews 12. And so we're going to back it up a little bit to get a little more context. I couldn't hardly get away from uh, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, who is often called a pastor. The pastor is what they normally call him. Uh, because truly, Hebrews is a book of encouragement. Um, it's simply, I mean, it, looking at it, reading through it, it's really a series of sermons that has been given to us from the earliest time. This is some of the first sermons ever preached. And so this guy has a pastor's heart, and it bleeds out today in in our reading. So let's follow along here in, in your Bible as we begin here in Hebrews chapter 10 and 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to, good lo- to, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more sorry, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, quote, The Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Would You now bless this reading of Your Word And Lord, would You bless Your hearers, us, as we receive it and respond to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Marines have a motto. You may know it. It's Semper Fidelis. They often say, Semper Fi, live or die. Semper Fidelis means, in Latin, means always faithful. Now, the Marines are some bad dudes. You know, good, but bad in a good sense. You know, that's the terminology changes. You, you follow me. Um, they're bad news, so to speak. You don't want them coming after you. You want them on your side, not against you. Uh, they're the first boots on the ground. They like to be known as the first ones there and the last ones to leave. Um, and their motto has nothing to do with killing or blowing up people or something violent. Instead, it has something to do with the very heart of God, which is probably why it's so powerful. I mean, think about it. Their motto, always faithful. Simple, but profound. Prestigious. You see, anybody can quit. Anybody can stop when the going gets tough. Anybody can run away from the battle. But those who rush into buildings that are falling down, those who are first on the scene and last to leave, the ones who are faithful, that's the ones we call heroes. That's the ones we want our kids to look up to and say, you need to be like that. Always faithful means I'm always faithful to the guy next to me. I'm faithful to my country. I'm faithful to the job that is set before me. They build an army around the idea of being faithful. (laughs) And today, the pastor, as I'll call him here in Hebrews, is talking about the same thing. Faithfulness. Enduring. Persevering. Not turning back. Not giving up. We're not the ones, he says, that shrink back. I mean, does a Marine shrink back from battle? No way. They've been trained. It's who they are. I was reading on their site. It says, once you become a Marine, which is a tough process to begin with, it is a transformation that cannot be undone. I like that. It's like a Christian. Once you become a Christian, that ought to be something that cannot be undone. And yet, there's a grave warning here, isn't there? Didn't you catch it? 
I tried to read enough context to where we can get the whole of what he's saying. Let's begin to look here at what the pastor is saying to us here in Hebrews as he writes these these Hebrews, as he's connecting the Old Testament to what Christ has done, as he's doing a lot of stuff, ultimately trying to show the preeminence or the centerpiece as Jesus Christ. It's where he begins his book. He says, in times past, God spoke to the prophets and through uh, apostles. But now, he speaks through his son. So in times past, God worked in one way, but now we hear and see God clearest in Jesus Christ. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than the sacrifices. He is the greatest. Which is why even here he says, if you want to enter into the holy place of God, it must be through Jesus. Remember where the holy place was in the Old Testament was in the temple, right? So you had the temple, you had the laver outside where you wash, kind of like a baptism. You had where you would then make a sacrifice, where there would be blood spilled, um, flesh burned, and cut into all kinds of pieces. I mean, it was a messy job being a priest back in the day. I'm, I'm, I thank God all the time that I didn't have to you know, live back then. Um, I'm not you know, into, into a lot of that kind of stuff. But I would have had to have been then. I mean, it was, it was gruesome. And there was a reason why. It was an object lesson. This is what sin does. It rips things apart that are innocent. Think of all those bulls, all those pigeons, all those lambs that were killed. For why? For my sin. That's why. I mean, it's quite a lesson when you keep a little lamb in your house, as they had to do at Passover, the Jews, and you know, here's the little boy, you know, my, I have three dudes, right? They would really like that lamb. I mean, at first they'd be freaked out, especially Bo. He wouldn't want to go near him. You know, and then everybody would get freaked out. But we, they would purposely tie them at the doorpost of their house, so the front door, all right? So just imagine having a lamb at your front door for one week. You know, you can't, hey, buddy, all right, well, I'll see you after work, you know. you know. And the kids kind of like him. They're getting attached to him. And then, at the end of those seven days, on Passover, the father would then lay his hands on this sweet little innocent, cuddly little lamb and take a knife and slit its throat. And the blood would fl- you know, flow until the life came out of that lamb. Now, you talk about crying... You talk about feeling bad. Everybody in my house would be crying if I know them. And yet, you turn to them and say, this happened because we sinned. That's quite an object lesson. So the Old Testament is a huge object lesson for all of us. And too often, we don't read enough of it to get the object lesson. The pastor doesn't forget that. That's why he begins here, it's by Jesus' blood that we enter the holy place. It's not just an animal, a bird, or a lamb, or a bull. But instead it's a person. And not only is it a person, (laughs) this is God in the flesh dying for you, for your sin. He takes sin very seriously. 
That's why later he says, if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sin, but instead, fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then at the end, it's that quite scary verse, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, it's one thing if God is just kind of up there as deist would have Him. Deists believe that God created everything, yes, but doesn't really, you know, doesn't participate in the process. Doesn't really care what happens in the end. Just He'll, he'll meet you at the end, you know, kind of winds the whole clock up and lets it run out. That's Thomas Jefferson, if you know him. Uh, he was a deist. But that's not, that's not the God of the Christian Bible. He's active in His creation. He comes into our world and becomes one of us. That's a whole different thing. If God is impersonal, that's one thing. But if He's personal, then that means that we're accountable. We're accountable for the gifts that He's given to us. We're accountable for the life He's given to us. And then therefore, sin is taken very seriously because sin always leads to death. And not just your own death, but other people. Your children, those around you, you're spreading death. It always affects someone else. If you spurn the Son of God, trample on His blood, going on deliberately sinning. If you outrage the Spirit of grace, then the pastor says clearly here, you will be judged for that. It's not just everybody goes to the same place. It's not just all roads lead to heaven. Instead, there are two ways. Very clearly outlined, by the way, also in Psalm 1. There's only two ways. The righteous way and the wicked way. And you're on one of those ways. There's no middle ground. It's one or the other. You're turned toward Him or you're turning away from Him. Jesus puts us in a unique place. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the nature of the beast, so to speak. Here's, here's the best way I can describe it. When I got down on one knee to propose to Jessica, right? I, I, you know, I did it in front of my mom and dad. They were there and it was just them and, and her. So I get down and I say, it's time, babe. Um, actually, at that point, her nickname was Pretty Lee. Um, her middle name being Lee. So I said, it's time, Pretty Lee. And so we, I, I you know, got down on one knee and I said, Jessica, will you marry me? At that point, I put her in a position where no matter what she did, it was going to be a response. She could have sat there for a while. Hmm. Well, that's a response. <laughs> um, cricket, cricket, you know. Uh, that's a response. That means she's ignoring me. She's not willing to answer. She's not ready to answer. Um, if she would have said no, then that's an answer. Yes, I put her in a position where she had to respond. Anything that she did would have been a response. Jesus, once you know Him, and you all do, you're put in a position where you have to respond to Him. Because even to say, 
ah, not for me. That's a response. To look the other way, that's a response. It's a response that I get when I see students from Calhoun out and about at a mall or, or somewhere. You know, they see me and they dart their eyes. That's a response. They don't want to talk to me, which is why I chase them down and talk to them anyway. <laughs> That's the cool thing about getting older, you know, is you get to embarrass. No, I'm just kidding. But, but it's true. If you dart the eyes and act like you didn't see Him, it's too late. If you've heard the name of Jesus, if you know the Gospel, which all of you do, then you must respond to Jesus Christ accordingly. It's imperative that you do. No one likes to talk about the two ways, righteous, wicked, heaven, hell, and yet Jesus does. And yet the pastor does. Why? Because they love you. He loves you. I love you. You see, God is faithful. We're not the only ones who are called to be faithful. He leads the way. He's the best Marine. He is Semper Fidelis to the max. Semper Fi live or die for Him was the case in His life. He did lay down His life for the world because He did what He said He was going to do. God is always faithful. How do we know that? Because of the Old Testament. He made promises to Abraham and he fulfilled them, didn't he? You remember what he told Abraham? That's all the way back it all the way up to Genesis 12. That's, that's a couple pages in. And you get a few promises to Abraham. One, Abraham, I'm gonna give you some land. Man, we all like that. We'd all like to have some land. Land's something you can't make more of. He said, Abraham, I'm gonna give you a family. We say, ah, that sounds great. Everybody likes to be a part of a family. Even criminals. The mob calls himself a family. And gangs act like a family. Why? Because family is something God created. And we all know it's right. <laughs> and he also told him a third thing. He said, I'll make you famous. Man, that's not a bad promise. Land, family, fame. Abraham says, let's go with it. Let's do it. And God was faithful, wasn't he? I mean, isn't there a land called Israel even right now that you can go visit? Jump on a pl- I just had a buddy from seminary go visit Israel. He gave him the land. It's still there. Did he give him a family? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, not only the Jews, but think about the Ishmaelites. That's where your Muslim brothers come in. Your Arabic friends. Maybe not friends of the Jews, but... Nonetheless, brothers, fighting brothers, that's where they started. And is he famous? Let me tell you this story that I think is pretty cool. About five years ago, I go into a Barnes and Noble. And I go to the periodicals, all the magazines and everything. And lo and behold, guess who's on the front of Newsweek magazine? None other than Abraham. In this big coat and stuff, nice color picture. You know, I don't know who took the photograph, but it's a joke. They didn't have photographs, you know. They didn't even have paintings back then that I know of, except for on walls of stone that weren't very good. 
There's Abraham on the front of Newsweek magazine. Is he not famous? You know, that, by the way, the reason he was there was because of the turmoil, the terrorism that was going on after 9-11. They were talking about the, the, um, the two, two ways, the two sons that Abraham had, one uh, not God's way and the other God's way, and how they've been fighting for all that time. So there he was on the front. So if you don't think God keeps His promises, you may want to check again. He kept all three of those promises way back then to now. He's still famous. <laughs> what other character from that old makes it on the front of a magazine? He's also a covenant maker. He made covenant with Abraham. He made covenant with Moses. He made covenant with the people of Israel and he did not let them go. It was like what Rachel just said in her prayer. God's faithfulness, He goes after us. And He binds Himself to us and says, I'm going to be with I'm going to come after you. One of the church fathers, I can't remember his name, he says, he's the great hound of heaven. No matter where you go, he'll be able to find you. You know, old hound dog will be able to find anything. That's what they use when they're tracking people. He's the hound of heaven. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, he's on your trail. He is for you. He wants to come after you. He always makes the initiative. He's the one down on his knee. And it's our turn to respond. He makes the questions. He, he's the one who lays down His life and provides everything. says, I've got it ready. Let's move on this. You ready? And we're the ones who balk. We're the ones who halt and say, ah. <clears throat> Which leads us to the second thing that He encourages to do is live by faith. If God is faithful, in other words, filled with faith for you, if He does what He says, if He always keeps His promises, then that also is what we should do. Live by faith. It's what He says here in verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Now we know in the Christian life, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I have faith in Jesus. Now you're talking something, Marshall, that I, that I can understand. Oh yeah, I, right on, right on. You know, rock on. I'm all about some faith. I totally believe in Jesus. Totally believe that He died for my sin. Before you get to going and congratulating yourself, listen to what James has to say. Remember what, remember what James said? Remember that he's the brother, half-brother of Jesus. Didn't believe in Jesus when He was around. When He died and resurrected, then He became a believer. <laughs> James says, okay, you say that there's one God and you believe in monotheism, one God. That's, that's great. Even the demons believe that. Big deal. I mean, even Satan believes there's one God. <laughs> he knows there is. Even Satan believes that Jesus died and rose again. I mean, if you're at that point in your faith, great. I don't want to discourage that, but the point, that's not enough. There's more than just mentally believing in Jesus. That's not all that is meant by faith in the Bible. I like to think of it as four stages of faith. The first one is an emotional faith. <clears throat> this is trust in a person or confidence in a person. So you say, yeah, I meet Christopher for the first time. He seems 
pretty respectable guy. I mean, pretty trustworthy dude. Uh, I, think I, can, I think I can trust him. He says to me, let's go shooting, man. Well, you've got to trust somebody when you go shooting with them. Especially these days, apparently. Can I trust him? The first thing's emotional kind of thing. I gotta, how do I feel about that person? You know, some people you meet for the first time and you don't really, it's not there. I don't know if I, boy, something's, I just can't trust that person. The first response to Jesus is emotional. Can you trust him? And you think about the kind of life Jesus lived, and of course you can trust him. He was only for other people. He gave his life for the world. He never did anything to harm anyone. How many of us can say we've ever done that? I can't. He was sinless. He's easy to trust. So to say, oh yeah, I, you know, I trust in Jesus. Hey, he's, he's a cool cat, you know. Okay, that's, that's one level. The second level is intellectual faith. So it moves from the emotions, which as you know, emotions don't go very far. I mean... You don't believe that? Get married. You don't believe that? Have children. Children look great on the outside. Oh, look at those little people. So, Live with them for a while. I may look cool on the outside and just temporarily knowing me, but live with me for a little while. You won't think that? It's true. And we all are like that, aren't we? <laughs> I hope we are. Intellectual faith is saying... Okay, Jesus died. That's, that's tough. He rose again. Whew, that's tough. God died. That's tough for me to understand. Rising from the dead? That's even tougher. I mean, where's that happen at? And so, intellectual goes, goes to the mind, understanding. It goes to to um, saying in our, in our head, yeah, I, I know I can trust this person because of these acts, because of these events. Up here, I understand why I can trust them. It's not just some overflowing emotion like when you fall in love, you, know, you just can't think anything but that person. I mean, you can't get them off your mind. Your, your job's going to the pot because you can't think anything but them. Now, does that last for 40 years? No. No, it doesn't. Because emotion, if you lived at that level, you would be fired from your job. You wouldn't be able to support your wife. All your friends would be gone because all you did was think and talk to her. You'd be consumed. That emotional stage shouldn't last forever. It's not meant to. It's not truly what love is. Love is deeper than that. It's deeper than just a feeling. The third stage... Not only emotional response to God, not only intellectual, but also volitional or a will. Volition, volition deals with the will. Now, the will is real close to your heart. I mean, that's close to the center of everything. Uh, one guy put it like this. The intellect is the soul's navigator. Alright? If you think about a ship or something. But the will is the captain. So he's inform you're up here you're informing your will. Cuz you know how it is. Sometimes you say, "All right, probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because of these reasons." And you see your will 
and your intellect are informing one another. But the wheel ultimately has the last say, obviously. And some people with addictions are bound in their will. They, they always, even they know it up here. And some of you have experienced it. We all have with sin. We know it's wrong up here. But our will just is bent toward doing that thing. And we say to ourselves, why did I do that? Because up here it's fine. That's what I'm saying. Faith has to go deeper than your head. It's got to get down in here where your will is. But the final stage, the deepest stage, is heart faith. Your heart is the center of your person. It's not just the palpitating organ that is right here in the center of your chest. But heart in Hebrew means the center of your person. When God tells him in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your what? (coughs) Heart. Heart is the center. If we're ever to have true faith in Jesus, it must move from just an emotional response to our brain, to our head, to our will, our purpose to do this, and then finally to our heart. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. It may, it may be more helpful. Going back to Jessica, my wife. When I first met her, man, there were a lot of emotions. I can't even begin to describe to you kind of just a magnetic, just you know, fireworks kind of thing. It's the reason I sat in front of her because I wanted her to notice me. Hey, you got to get it done, you know. <laughs> That's right. Get her done. <laughs> you got to make it happen. I knew I wanted that lady to talk to me. That little lady at the time. Of course, she's still a little lady. I can still call her my little lady. Well, she's in her 20s now, you know. I mean, that's, that's getting on up there. Just kidding. I sit in front of her because I, I want her to talk to me afterward. And all these emotions. And so when we start talking, man, I'm talking about it was just magnetic. You know how it is. But that's not where it stopped. When I left... I got to thinking, hmm, man, I really like this girl. After we went on our first date, I got to thinking even more. I'm thinking, you know what? I, I might be able to marry her. I mean, this, this may be something I can really trust with my life. This may be something that, somebody that I can forgive no matter what happens. Be faithful to as long as we both shall live. Thinking about it. But then it had to move to the wheel, didn't it? I just can't think about it and it happened. No, I had to think about it in such a way that it moved down into my will to where I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I told my dad, I remember the day uh, we were standing across. He was on the other side of the kitchen at his house and I was on, on this side. And I, and I said, I think I'm going to marry her, Pop. He said, I thought so. I said, yep, it's time. I had solidified it in my will. But I'm still learning, even now, what it means to love her with all my heart. I'm not a professional. Those of you who are married, you know this. It's tough. To really get it down into the heart is tough. To really give a person your center, that's tough. We hide a lot of stuff down there. 
there's some rooms that we have locked and we keep locked. There's boxes that are not have not been opened. Giving yourself to a person and ultimately giving yourself to God takes time. And it has to move through these stages of faith. So wherever you are on that compendium, the pastor would say, go deeper. Go deeper in. Go deeper still. There's still more. I mean, it's amazing people who who spend 60 years together. My grandparents just celebrated 63 years staying together. And I can tell they're still learning to love each other. It's amazing. I've seen them change just in the past 10 years. They're still going deeper down into the heart level. Think of it this way. You got to first, if I told Christopher, come over here and sit in this chair. Let me use you as a stretch. He's got to first trust me, alright? So just stand right here. Do you trust me? Yes. Do you trust me that I say that this chair will hold you? Yes. Alright? Now notice, first thing is, he's got to trust me as a person. And the first thing we have to do is trust Jesus as a person. He's not some idea. He's not a philosophy. He's a person. That's the beauty in Christianity is it's about a person, a real person. We can relate to people, right? We do it all. We're about to do it here in just a second. As soon as we get out, we're shaking each other's hands, talking about... We're talking to Jesus. We're talking about a real person. And Christopher, trust me. He says, hey, I trust you that you are not kidding me, that this chair's not rigged and I'm going to fall on my face here in front of everybody. So he's thinking about it. Why am I doing this? You know, why do I trust this guy? But also moves to his, to his will. Because he could say no. There's really nothing I can do about it. Except maybe fight him, which would be terrible. And you know what? God doesn't fight us. He doesn't. I mean... He doesn't make us do stuff. Instead, He asks us to sit. Chris, go ahead and sit. This is the final stage of resting in Christ. No, it's true. Once you finally do it, that is full faith. If you want to have full faith in Christ, you've got to sit down. You can't just stand there and say, Oh yeah, I believe the chair can hold me. I believe the person who's telling me this. I want to do it. I want to sit. I'm tired. But you have to actually have to sit down and rest in Christ. Thanks, man. If you've never had that experience where you really trusted what Jesus said, really acted upon it, because that's the point. The point where we intersect with Jesus is in the action. We have to respond. He's down on one knee. It's time for us to respond. Are we going to leave Him there? Are we going to look away? Are we going to act like it just didn't happen? The reality is it has happened. He did die for you. He died for your sins. The ones that you don't want to talk about. The ones that you're ashamed of. And we all are. That's the good thing about us is 
we're all in the same boat. Nobody can claim they're better than the other guy. We all look to the same person who is Jesus Christ. He is for you. He's for you. He's rooting you on as we talked about last week. If, if you have a Facebook page and you were a celebrity, he'd click the like button. He's a fan of yours. He really is. He knows you better than anybody else. He already knows that secret stuff. And He still likes you. Last thing I want to say is when you have a faith that goes to the heart, even when death comes, even when tragedy comes, you won't be shaken. What a beautiful testimony Baz gave us a month or so ago. How even in the worst tragedy, his faith remained strong in Jesus Christ. That's contagious, Baz. Isn't that what the pastor says here? I mean, his next chapter is a bunch of examples of people who lived by faith. Who did it? It can be done. You can be semper fidelis, always faithful. If you're faithful to God, He'll make you faithful in your marriage. He'll make you faithful with your family. And don't kids need that strong faithfulness in their life? They don't need the shakiness that we've given them in divorce. It's the one thing they need is to know that two people are going to stay together no matter what. What a testimony that is. That there's a God in heaven who is going to stay with you no matter what. Don't reject Him today. Do not trample on the blood of Christ today. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an all-consuming fire. A living God. It's, it's crazy, but this all-consuming fire, kind of like the sun, that's, that's one all-consuming fire that we know of, He invites us in. And we're like a hair that's going to melt if we come in. But He promises if we come toward Him, we won't melt. It's only if we turn away. Will you turn to Him today? Draw near to Him? He's already drawn near to you. He's just a few breaths away. Call on Him today. He's here to save. He's here to encourage. He's here to sanctify. He's here to cleanse. He's here to release you from your addiction. To free your will. To renew your mind. To order your emotions. And to fill your heart with love. What a beautiful thing He offers today. Would you accept Him today? If so, let's stand and respond to this Word and to Jesus Christ now. I'll ask that Rachel...